Have you ever had statements of the Word of God that seem to be too good to be true? There's certain passages of Scripture, for instance, 2 Corinthians chapter number 2 says, Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. And the next two words are key, in Christ. How many of you from the day you got saved to now have every time you've been tempted always triumphed? Could I see your hand? Oh, wow. Wow. Interesting, isn't it? If somebody had raised their hand, I figured they'd only been saved five seconds. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's a stunning statement, isn't it? Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. So why is it we're sitting here with a verse like that and we have to admit, well, that hasn't been played out in my life. Well, we're going to just a moment kind of talk about this because I'm telling you, God's put me on a journey and uh, so I love sanctification truth because I need it all the time. But um, how about this one? Uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, oh, all things. How many things? All things are become new. So how many of you would admit from the day you got saved to now, you got saved, everything's become new in the sense that all the problems you had before you got saved, now you don't have them anymore. How many of you, there's a sin problem you had before you got saved that you don't have anymore. Well, probably many of us could raise a hand on that one because God has delivered us. Don't get me wrong. I've known people who are remarkably delivered from some sin, but I've known also people say, you know, God delivered immediately from alcohol, immediately from drugs, but man, did I struggle with anger. I still struggle with anger. So what does the Bible mean? We all know the Bible to be true. I'm not diminishing the Word of God's true. It's true. So what's the problem between our defeated experience and the clear statements of Scripture. I mean, it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Well, we just sang a moment ago, complete in thee. If you want to turn to Colossians chapter 2, that's where I'll park here. I'm kind of setting things up. Colossians chapter 2, I want you to look at verses uh, 8 and 9 here in a moment, or actually 9 and 10, actually, 9 and 10. Read the text here in a moment. We just have a few minutes together, but I'd like to challenge your thinking. Certainly can't develop everything, but I want to challenge your thinking. Certainly there are passages of Scripture that are so amazing. Do you know what I think sometimes we do? We just kind of rationalize them. I'm not saying we don't believe them, but in a certain sense, I'm not sure we believe them. <laughs> like thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. Now, why is that? And the answer is because of defeated experience. Many times I believe in our Christian life, one of our hang-ups is this. We have a tendency to believe defeated experience more than clear statements of the Word of God. We are more impacted by our experience than by the truth of the Word of God. Don't you think that's a possibility? Sure it is. Now, so you say, well, preacher, what are you getting at? Well, I'm getting at this, friends. We have an enemy who is a master at spinning illusion. Satan is a master illusionist. Now, I know some of you probably have one time or another been to see a magician. You know what a magician is? He doesn't have supernatural magic. You know what a magician is? He's an illusionist. He knows how to fake you out. And we all know that. We know. How do you do that? Because, why do we say that? Because we know that whatever he just did was an illusion. It was a trick. Now, Satan is the master illusionist. So let me just say that Satan is a master. It's spinning around our circumference, as the old timers used to say, around our perimeter, illusion. And we often buy it. Well, let me give you an example. How many of you here would have to admit that at least once in your life you have gotten discouraged? I'm sure it's more than once, but yeah, you've gotten discouraged. You know what happened when you got discouraged? You believed in illusion. 
I want to ask you a question. When you were the most discouraged, was God discouraged about your situation? And the answer is no. Sometimes we get the idea God's up wringing his hands in heaven thinking, oh, man, this Christian has messed it up. He's gotten himself into trouble. Is God doing that? It's almost irreverent to think it, isn't it? Now, God's not wringing his hands. When you, are most, when you and I are most discouraged, God is up in heaven saying, okay, got this over here, got this here, got this over here. He's, got all, he's been working on it probably for months. He's got everything set in motion. But you know why we get discouraged? Because we believe the illusionist. Now, you say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this. When the Bible says that this, something is true in Christ, I don't want you to miss this. It's not potential it is real. It is absolutely real. I will tell you right now, for every believer in this room, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you are in Christ. That is not potential. That is real. The problem is, what is real is not always realized. Do you know something can be real and not realized? And when that's true, friends, you live with an illusion. Now, let me use a quick illustration if I could. Imagine that uh, you were in poverty. Notice the word in. We're going to use that. It's positional truth. It's often called in the Bible positional truth, that you are in poverty. And as a result of being in poverty, you have only one option, and that is to live after the ways of poverty. I'm going to use the word after a little bit differently. I'm going to use the word in. I'm actually borrowing from Romans 8. But, but uh, in, so if you're in poverty, you have only one option to live after poverty. Maybe you have a shack, you have newspaper for wallpaper, you dumpster dive to get meals, you have rags for clothes. You are in poverty and you live after the ways of a poor man. It would be impossible for you to live after the ways of a rich man. Absolutely impossible. Why? Because you're in poverty. Let's imagine one day, well-dressed lawyer comes up knocks on your door, he hands you a checkbook, and he says, your long-lost uncle just died, you've inherited $10 million. Wow. You know what? You're no longer in poverty. You are in riches. You take that checkbook, put it up on a shelf, i got a question for you. Although you are in riches, could you, if you wanted to, live after the ways of poverty? And the answer is, well, sure you could. You could still dumpster dive. You could wear rags for clothes. You could live in a shack with wall, a newspaper for wallpaper. Sure, you could do that. Could you, if you wanted to, live after the ways of a rich man? And the answer is, well, now you could. Write yourself a sizable check. Go out and buy a nice house. Get yourself a nice car. Start shopping at fine grocery stores. Start voting for the Republicans instead of the Democrats. You can start living after the ways of a rich man. You know what I'm talking about? So the point is, you are in poverty, now you've moved to in riches, but although you're in riches, those riches will not be, they're real, but they're not realized until you do what? Go out and start writing checks. Friends, when you and I got saved, guess what God did? He gave us a checkbook. Not only gave us a checkbook, He gave Himself. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him freely give us? Anybody know the last two words? Wow. All things. When you got saved, you got everything necessary to live the Christian life. There's nothing more you need. I put it this way. I do not believe in second blessing theology because when you got saved, you got the first blessing and all you need to do is access the first blessing because you got everything you're going to need in Jesus Christ. Amen. See? So I'm not looking to get anything I don't already have. I have everything in Christ. So why is often our experience so defeated? And the answer is, is because what the Bible says is real but it is not realized. Why? Because we really don't believe it. 
and don't act according to it. What would that poor man have to do? He has to take the checkbook off of the thing. He has to go down to the bank. Of course, in the olden days, of course, let's imagine he doesn't have a computer, so he goes down, he writes a check, and he gets some cash. Yeah, he has to take a risk. He has to go start acting like the money is actually there. And what he finds out is it is there. Many believers, I believe, live in spiritual poverty when they are a child of the king. It's real. The inheritance just has not been realized. Now, can I put it this way? There's probably folks in this room, probably all of us, if we're honest about it, there's sin issues in our life we're working to resolve. Maybe it's just an idea of trusting God and not worrying anymore. Maybe it's an issue of dealing with anger in your life. Maybe it's an issue of lust. I don't know. But everybody in this room would have some areas of your life you'd like to see progress in. May I say this? Many times defeat comes because, don't miss this, we're fighting for victory. You say, preacher, shouldn't we fight for victory? No. We should fight from victory. See, the point is, when you start with the wrong premise, you will end uh, not in victory. And the wrong premise is not, oh, man, i got to get victory. No, the promise is, I have victory. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Did you catch what that verse is saying? You're already victorious in Jesus Christ. You fight from victory. If you fight for victory, you're starting with the wrong premise that I'm not in victory, but Jesus says you are. You're in the victorious one. Now, I realize this is theology, and I'm not trying to be too thick. I really argue with the Lord not to preach this, but I felt like the Lord wanted me to do because it's uh, just trying to hone it down here just for a few moments. So you say, well, preacher, what about the text we just looked at? Well, let's look at that again. Or look at it. Or maybe I guess we hadn't read it yet. Let's look at verse 9. It says, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. Wow. What a stunning verse. Now, I, if you and I would go to heaven right now and get, go into the throne room, you know what you and I would see on the right hand? A body, a corporal body. Now, granted, it's a glorified body. But Jesus is forever identified with the human race. Did you know that? And when you get to heaven, he's going to be in a bodily form. Now, the Bible says that seated at the right hand right now is Jesus, and he's filled with all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Do you believe that right now Jesus is filled with the fullness of God? Well, that statement's not too hard to believe, but the next one is absolutely incomprehensible. Do you know what it says? And you're complete in Him. Do you know what that word complete is? It's the same word filled as we find in Ephesians 5.18. And ye are filled in Him. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not filled in and of myself. I'm only filled because I'm in union with the filled one. See, and I'm not dead to sin in and of myself. I'm dead to sin because I'm in union with the one who is dead to sin. And I'm not victorious in and of myself. I'm victorious because I'm in union with the victorious one. That's why those words in Christ or in him are so significant. The victory is recognizing when you and I got saved, we were immersed into Jesus Christ, baptized into Jesus Christ. You saw that illustrated in, in a fashion, physical fashion this morning with baptism. We were baptized into Jesus Christ, and now we are in union with the filled one, the one that's dead to sin, the one that is triumphant, the one that is alive unto God. Wow. Yeah, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That is reality. But here's our problem. Satan has an ally. It's called our flesh. The flesh lusts against the spirit, spirit against the flesh. And there's a constant battle, and he's a master illusionist, and he gets us to buy into the fact that we don't have what we actually do. 
You know what my burden would be for every one of you to walk out of this room and say, Hallelujah, in Jesus I have victory. In Jesus I'm dead to sin. In Jesus I'm alive unto God. That is real. And it is realized when we believe it and act upon it. That's what Romans 6 is all about. When it says reckon, that means make a decision of faith. Believe it to be true. Don't worry about your experience. Believe it to be true because he said so. And then act upon it. Yield. So um, God tells us that we are filled with, uh, we are filled in him. We're complete in him. What a remarkable thought. And I want to, it's like this. Many times uh, we get, so overwhelmed with our sin. And don't get me wrong, we ought to be burdened and grieved about our sin, but here's what we become, pessimistic. Yeah, I'm always going to struggle with this sin. And we kind of give up because we don't believe what God says about the particular issue at hand. Wow, think about it. All things are become new. How about this verse? And he, it's there in 2 Corinthians that we were quoting from a moment ago, verse number 5, and he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God, here it is, in him. Do you think of yourself right now as righteous? Many times when we see the word righteous or justified and those kind of things, we think of it only in the legal or forensic sense. In a certain sense, certainly, thank the Lord, as a result of our salvation, we are justified in the sight of God. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ in a legal sense. We can't go to hell. We're in union with Him. But may I say that the Bible teaches us, I'm clear, sure about this, it's not just legal, it's not just forensic, it's real. In Jesus, my friend, you and I are in union with His righteousness. See, victory is not based on this. Let me say this. Maybe I could put it this way. As I've looked at the Bible about this matter, it's not do and you'll be. It's because you are do. You see that as particularly in the Pauline epistles. The first half of the epistle, the indicative mood is used, which is the mood of reality. In the second half of the epistle, the imperative or the horatory subjunctive is used, which are commands or exhortation. In other words, clearly what Paul is saying, this is who you are, therefore live like it. Because you are do. Friends, I want to tell you something, that changes everything. See, when you start doing, you'll be. You're starting with the wrong premise because God says you already are. Operate from the premise, this is who I am, in union with Jesus Christ. I have an enemy, it's called the flesh, but who I am, when God looks at me, he sees that I'm in union with the righteous one. In Christ, old things are gone. They're all gone. All, everything's become new. Uh, I'm always triumphant in Jesus Christ. This is what we call positional truth. But as I, I remember one day I was reading something and it said, positional truth is not just potential, it's real. And it really bowled me over because I realized many times we only think of it as potential. But you need to operate with the fact, no, it's real. We're just not living like it's realized. <laughs> so uh, let me just give one final illustration. And I know I've just kind of probably just thought-provoking uh, to hear this message is to get us to think of who we are in Jesus Christ. If I had a title for the message is, Do You Know Who You Are? Do you know who you are? Because I'm not sure some Christians do know who they are. I, um, I think this verse says, You are complete in Him. You are filled in Him. In my union, I'm in union with the one who's filled with all the fullness of God, head bodily. That's an amazing statement. I don't understand it at all. I'll be honest with you. But the Bible says, we just sang it a moment ago. 
Perhaps this illustration will begin to it will help you. It certainly helped me to begin to get my arms around a little bit. I was um, I volunteered to take a young couple. There was a young couple in our ministry, and they were going to be uh, down uh, serving in a church in Florida. They weren't there yet, and they were going to be traveling down there for a couple's uh, for a, excuse me a staff retreat. And they're all excited about, it. of course, their first ministry. And I said, I'll take you to the airport. I said, what time you want to leave? Uh, and uh, we talked about it. We said, you know, we better put a half an hour extra in there because there's construction and, and uh, we better get that, you know, get, we might lose the time. And sure enough, I picked them up right on time. They were ready to go, got their luggage in, took off, and we lost that first half hour. We lost that half hour like right off the bat with the construction. Had to go a detour and early in the morning. Finally got back on the route. We're headed down the airport about 25, 30 minutes away without construction. And, and now we're right on time, just right on time, but we don't have any buffer, no buffer at all. And I'm traveling south, and, and it's early in the morning, and the sun's just coming up over in the east, and I come up on an overpass on a, on a literally a perp, uh, just a perpendicular type thing where just a 90-degree angle, I'm going to come up like this, go right toward the sun. And so I'm starting to turn, and when I do, the sun starts to glint into my eyes. So I do what anybody would do. I take the visor and I put it down. And what I did, guess what happened? The garage door opener fell off of the visor, and I didn't realize it, turned my car off. It hit my ignition just right and turned my keys like that. Now, I didn't know that. I'm concerned about the, you know, I'm concerned about the garage door opener. You know what I'm talking about? It's sliding around under my feet, and I don't want it to slide under the accelerator, and I can't, you know, de-accelerate. Now, some of you teenagers will love an excuse to have a garage door opener under the accelerator. And, and uh, so anyway, uh, so you know how it is. I'm driving down the road trying to find that thing. You ever done that? You know, peeking up, trying to drive, trying to find whatever that thing is. And uh, so I'm going up a little bit of an incline, and all of a sudden I'm, you know, hitting the accelerator, and I'm thinking, this thing doesn't have any power. Cars are going, err, err. Do you have people honk at you in Washington, D.C.? But anyway, people are going, err, err, you know, going around me. And I'm on kind of the lane over by the side. I'm on a bridge. There's not a lot of shoulder. They're going, err, err. And I'm thinking, oh, well, this is strange. My car's not going. And so I looked at the um, dashboard, and I, all of a sudden I saw it. I'm out of gas. <laughs> I'm out of gas. I mean, you know, you know what happens when you turn your car off? The gas gauge goes like this, okay? Now, I didn't know my car was off. I mean, of course, now I knew it was off. And I'm out of gas. Now, I will tell you, friends, I hate to admit this to you, but I'm going to be honest with you. For the next 60 seconds, I lived in total anxiety. I'm telling you, I'm not a multitasker, but in the next 60 seconds, I multitask. I thought of a million different things in about 60 seconds. Like, where's the next gas station or... Who didn't fill the car up with gas? You know, all these kind of things going, you know, I'm thinking, I'm apologizing to them. I'm thinking, who can I call? I mean, all kinds of things. I'm trying to figure out what to do. And as, as a result, you know, we're trying to pull over a little bit. People are honking, you know, going by because I'm getting deaccelerated. You know, we're still going uphill. And, and I gotta, I'm thinking, oh, maybe I can get over that hill and we'll go down a little bit, you know. And all these thoughts, trying to navigate everything. And in the middle of all that, don't ask me why, the brain is a marvelous thing God has given us, but I remembered something that occurred three and a half decades or three decades before, something like that. And I remember I was with the youth pastor, and we uh, were in his Jeep, and he ran out of gas. And I, we were on a lonely road here in rural, rural Indiana, and he goes, whoosh, 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 like that. And, and he would have a little bit of the gas, putter into the gas tank, and we just puttered into the gas station, probably in the last thing. And I, well, I went about an interstate to go whoosh, whoosh, you know what I'm talking about. But we had done enough changing of different things. I'm thinking, you know, I wonder if some gas had trickled into the gas tank as a result of our going, you know, our trickling in the motor as a result of everything we've done. So I took the ignition. This is about after 60 seconds of total anxiety. I turned the, turned the ignition. 
car roared to life and the gas gauge went up to three quarters of a tank. Do you know what was real? You know what was real? My gas tank had plenty of gas. I was, in a certain sense, full. But it was not realized because I had bought into an illusion. You know what I think? I thought to myself, how many times in my Christian life have I had a full tank of gas, gas and lived like I was out of gas? All I'm saying, Christian, in this room, I want you to understand what you are in Christ is not just potential, it is real. You know what needs to be done? We need to believe it. My friend, remember this. It's not doing you'll be as much as the Bible indicates because you are due. Hallelujah. That changes everything, doesn't it? So don't do this to be righteous. You are righteous, therefore do this. And friends, what we are in Jesus Christ, I want you teenagers to understand this. There's not a sin in your life that Jesus cannot give you victory over. The, the provision's already there. The provision is himself. It's who you are as a result of the fact that you're now in union with him. It's a remarkable thing. It's a remarkable provision. And I will tell you, friends, since we sang it tonight, we are complete in him. We have everything we need to live the Christian life, wrapped up in our union with Jesus Christ. Can I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you just stand to your feet? Heads bowed, eyes closed, just stand to your feet. I know we just kind of opened the can here this evening on this wonderful truth of what we have in Christ, who we are in Christ. In just a moment, I'll ask our pianist to play, and dear Christian, this is part of the gospel of the saint. <laughs> it's the good news. Hallelujah. I'm in union with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And wow, what that's accomplished is unbelievable. Romans 6, so many other passages. But in just a moment, I'll ask the instrumentalist to play. And maybe you just need to come down to an altar and put down a stake and say, God, I've been living like I'm empty, like I'm in spiritual poverty. But boy, I want to put a stake down in my life and believe that in Jesus, I'm dead to sin. In Jesus, I'm alive in God. In Jesus, He always causes me to triumph. In Jesus, all things are passed away. All things are become new. In Jesus, I'm complete in Him. Wow. So if God struck your heart with His truth, I just encourage you to come down, make an altar with God, put a stake down in your life as the instrument plays.